0: It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
1: The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop, Onex offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onexmaps.com, or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N, NATION, followed by the number 20.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, where we celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos, no status, just catch it, cut it, and cook it. This is episode 37. Is wild game not the best recruitment tool? With Will Brantley. Nick sits down with Will Brantley hunting editor for Field of Stream magazine. Back in October, Will wrote a tongue-in-cheek article entitled, Hunting is Much More Than Meat. Naturally, we had to bring him on to explain himself and chat about hunting recruitment, small game hunting, and everyday midweek meals hunters enjoy. If you enjoy this episode or any of our others, make sure you head on over and give us a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it. Anyway, let's get on to the show. Well, hey, good afternoon, folks. Usually we're uh, starting our podcast a little later in the evening, but we're getting a midday start with us today. Instead of a cold brew, I got a hot cup of coffee here. Just to keep us going, Michigan has dipped down in the cool weather here the uh, first week, first part of November. Digitally, I'm sitting across from the editor of Field and Stream. I'm sitting here with Will Brantley. Will, thanks for uh coming on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. It's um pretty cold here too down in Kentucky. We uh we had a big storm come through and actually have one of the earliest snows on the ground that I believe I've ever seen and it's uh wind chills are in the teens outside. It's it's pretty uh we're usually in the 50s during the day around here this time of year,
0: so it's it's a pretty pretty major cold front. Now are the deer down there when it gets cold like that? Do they want to move, or are they a different breed where they're like the people? It's it's cold. They're gonna they're gonna sit down. <laughs> you know, I I think there is uh there
1: is kind of a line. I mean, um, our rutting activity it's like anywhere else. It's gonna be at its best on uh, on days when it's uh, you know the temperature is a little bit below average. Now I think when you get an extreme weather event like this it, it does tend to shut them down at least temporarily um you know i wouldn't have expected to see a lot of deer movement early this morning but as the sun comes out and starts to warm things up they're going to move and then we we're we are right near the peak of the rut around here and so they're uh they, they're gonna they're gonna move around regardless when that's going on
0: good deal um back to your normal day job your mild-mannered day job um (laughs) you're in the publication world you're still making magazines still writing articles and as the role as an editor are you are you just fixing grammatical errors or is there more to it than just uh checking spelling and grammar
1: oh for sure um you know for any magazine editor's role there's a lot more to it than than checking uh you know, spelling and, and grammar, um, for my role in particular, my role is as hunting editor for Field and Stream, and, and I was, uh, served as hunting editor of Outdoor Life, too, for a while, both, uh, both titles are owned by the same publishing company. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm reading copy and, and certainly, uh, fix grammatical mistakes when I catch them, but really my, my role is to be, um, more of a subject matter expert, uh, in the, you know, in the area of hunting. I mean, I, I, um, I write, a, a great deal of content, uh, you know, and, 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 that's really kind of the focus of, of my job, I, I would guess, compared to some of the other editors on staff, I'm more of a, of a content producer, um, whether it's written stories for the print magazine or for our website or, um, you know, digital content, you know, uh, videos and things like that. Uh, so, I mean, I'm responsible for that. And then it, it's also my job to, um, to be sure that our, that our content is factually correct to look at, uh, magazine photos and, and be sure that we've identified, uh, a duck species properly, for example, or be sure that, um, you know, uh, a hunter in a photo is, uh, you know wearing the the proper amount of hunter orange for the state that we say that he's hunting in and be sure that we don't inadvertently show somebody violating a game law or um you know different little things like that it's it's my responsibility to be on the lookout for those things and uh and check those things both in in photos and in illustrations and then certainly in our in our copy so
0: yeah that's a big thing too cuz if you start publishing something that's you know, that could put somebody in either liability or like coming back to get them in in some fashion. And it it looks bad on the magazine. So it's great to know that it's like, okay, we're going to do our homework up front. We want to have the correct species. If we're going to be talking about mallards, we want to make sure that's a picture of a mallard that's going up there. Um, But yeah, I even looked back on some of your archives and you are very descriptive and very technical in your writing. Is that, something that the job is calling for or is that just you have in like a just a, a die hard fixation on knowing calibers and different setups for firearms or or archery equipment
1: well I, I think it's a combination of both um you know about me in particular i mean i um I, I i'm not exactly sure how old you are nick i i think we're around the same age i'm i'm uh, 36 um and you know where i where i grew up in rural kentucky i i wasn't a big uh wasn't a big sports guy went to a tiny a tiny school had a 29 kids in my graduating high school class um you know we had <laughs> That's a small we, class yeah it was. my wife had 11
0: but she was at the local christian school
1: <laughs> we um you know we we had some sports teams and things and i and i, I ran cross country and i and i uh uh ran track but it wasn't um you know, they didn't demand a whole lot of my time. Uh, most of my time was spent hunting and fishing. Um, I was just, um, from a very young age, I was just obsessive about it. It's, uh, uh, and to this day that's, that's continued and, and really just virtually every single day of the year, um, I'm doing something that is related to, uh, to hunting in particular. Um, whether it is, you know just sitting down to uh to to you know perform the duties of my job you know reading copy and 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 writing stories um but very often uh when I'm through at the desk I'm I'm going outside I'm uh you know an active land manager um you know I'm uh, very interested in uh improving the habitat on uh, on our farms for for wildlife um, I'm running trail cameras nearly year round for whitetails. I'm a huge turkey hunter, waterfowl hunter, small game hunter um and and I practice with and and test a lot of equipment and you know I mentioned earlier that that my job is not just to catch you know grammatical errors, but it's it's also subject matter expertise and you know I don't claim to be uh, an expert on all types of hunting, um, no, nobody can be. Um, but, but I figure if I'm going to write about it, if I'm going to, uh, share advice with people about it, I better have a good idea of what I'm talking about. And if it's a subject that, that I personally, uh, you know, don't get to spend enough time doing it and and to, to be an expert, you know, elk hunting, for example, I love to elk hunt. I've elk hunted a fair bit. Um, but I don't live in elk country. Uh, so, you know, I, I go enough, um, to, to at least understand what questions I should be asking the experts and, you know, and I immerse myself in the equipment that they're using and things like that. And, and I, I think as a, you know, as a, as a byproduct of that lifestyle, um, I've come to understand a lot of technical details about gear and various tactics and things like that. So.
0: Yeah, you're just in amongst it, and it's gonna be—you're just gonna absorb it through osmosis at that point. Well, that's good. I'm glad to know that. Yeah, that even as I'm putting together my podcast, I mean, this is a small audience, but at the same time, like that's one of my goals—is just make sure I'm asking the right questions. Because uh, yeah, I'm not the expert, and that's where I bring people like you in uh, to chat with. Um, so as I was looking up uh, Will Brantley. I'm going through and I find the tagline underneath Brantley saying that he can skin a squirrel faster than you. And he's pointing <laughs> that out, I think, to just about everybody here in the United States. Um, you mentioned you chase whitetail. You're heading to the stand here um, as soon as we're done talking. Uh, you you try and touch just every area. But is, do bushy tails, do squirrels have a special place in your heart there, Will? Well, I do love to
1: squirrel hunt. Um, and that was, that was the first thing that, um, you know, that I learned to hunt as a kid. I think I killed my first squirrel when I was six or seven years old. Um, and when I got a little older and and showed my dad that I was safe enough to go out there and, and hunt on my own, um... Man, I used to squirrel hunt every single day after school, and then the weekends were special because I, I could get up early and and go in the mornings, and um and I still squirrel hunt a lot to this day. Uh, I don't I don't know how many trips I've made this year, um, but I, I particularly like it uh, in the late summer and early fall. Um, our season always opens the third Saturday in August here in Kentucky, and the squirrels are just starting to to cut in the hickory trees by that time, and um, you know, I think it's uh, it, it, it is a really underrated style of hunting. It uh, it requires a lot of stealth. Um, you have to learn to identify, uh, you know, the the sign that they're leaving behind, the trees that they're going to be in, and you have to make a a quiet stalk to get into range of them. And then I I, I hunt them just almost exclusively with a rimfire rifle and 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 focus on uh, on headshots. And so, you know, there's some marksmanship stuff coming into play there too. And I, I just think it's um I don't think there's a I don't think there's a better type of hunting that um that builds a more fundamental bedrock for all the other types of hunting that that you're likely to do. You know, I mean if if you're a good squirrel hunter, you can learn to hunt deer, turkeys or elk or critters in New Zealand for that matter. It's um all of those skills are there. And it's and it's one of those things that you can go out on a, on a public forest uh, with a 22 rifle and a pocket full of ammo and, um, you know, really not need much more gear than that. You can hunt in blue jeans and a t-shirt and still have pretty good odds of success. And they're really good to eat, too. So, um, you know, uh, knowing all that, what's not to like, you know?
0: You bet. Yeah, I've introduced my three-year-old to uh, squirrel hunting. He rides in the backpack behind me. And we're there still on, we're still on stealth as the lesson. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah,
1: you'll, you'll see a big change in that, man. My, um, my little boy, I, I started taking him squirrel hunting when he was three. And I mean, the concept of just the concept of whispering was something that, you know, it was difficult to explain to him. Uh, and I spent a lot of time, you know, carrying him, you know, just under my arm or on my shoulders or whatever. And then now, uh that he's five. I mean, he is uh he is eating up with it. And um, you know, gosh, the other day we were sneaking through the woods and he was behind me and he was quiet and we had a squirrel um pick us out and I had him circling around the other side of the tree to run it around to me so I could get a shot. And I mean it's just amazing uh in those two years how much he has learned. So and it's and it's a it's a pretty cool thing to see and man he loves bringing them home and uh and eating them for dinner so uh so yeah it's uh uh
0: it, it's a great thing to share with kids for sure now you guys doing that up just simple fry style or you do squirrel gravy what's your what's your go to with uh the squirrels
1: well the squirrels i usually um we usually from i will start by um i'll boil them for uh you know, about an hour in chicken broth and, uh, and then sort of rinse them off and then I'll, uh, and then I'll bread them and fry them. And that, you know, some of the, uh, some of your older squirrels, of course, can get pretty tough. Now we, we do a few other things. We've pulled them apart and made fajitas and stuff out of them. And they're, they're good like that too. But, uh, his, uh, his go-to, he, he likes some fried dipped in ketchup. So.
0: I think that's probably every kid's dream right there is fried dipped in ketchup. <laughs> right? <laughs> So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the ball here or drop the bomb on us. Um, I brought Will on because uh, Will, I I tried to like hold myself back, but as I was preparing for actually a different episode, we were going to be talking uh, field to fork with mm-hmm. one of the QDMA guys. I stumbled across this article, mm-hmm. and let me scan down here. The article caught me off guard. Hunting is much more than meat, and it had the tagline: "We're selling the hunting experience short by focusing too much on food, and it's bound to fail." And it about knocked me over, Will. <laughs> I'm I'm playing that up. Uh, I'm I'm exaggerating, but at the sure. same time, it did catch my attention, um, mainly because. I find myself on the flip side um my listeners will probably know my my personal background and i'm sure i'll reveal that as we're going along back and forth here um but that is one of my big things right now is i was introduced through the food aspect and that's been my main focus for hunting that keeps me in it and as i've been able to try and move people towards hunting by using food i'm hit with a completely different mindset and so that's why I wanted to have you on is to is to talk a little bit about that on you know it's one thing that we're focusing on food but it's not everything can you expand a little bit on your your article that you wrote there will
1: yeah yeah for sure well and I I, it sounds like you probably found the story online and this was um this was originally the back page uh in the fall issue of outdoor life and um it was uh it wasn't a topic that I pitched. It was, it was one that, um, the editor in chief, Alex Robinson, uh, came to me and, and asked me if I thought it was a topic worth, uh, worth talking about. And, um, you know, it really wasn't something that I had thought about a whole lot. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I started writing it, I, I, I realized that, you know, it is something that, that comes up quite a bit. And, um, you know, it was, uh, obviously I think if you read the, read the story, I mean, the, the tone is meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek. It's, it's meant to be a fun read and, you know, but also, um, grab some attention and, and get some folks talking just like, uh, just like we are now. And, you know, I, I think my big takeaway from it, uh, is that, you know, Hey, look, um, focusing on the food is, uh, it's, it's just fine. Um, But if we are, you know, if if the goal here is truly um, to recruit new hunters for the long haul, um, not to just get somebody to go for a weekend um, and not to just get somebody to go and try some deer meat and say, you know, hey, hunting's pretty cool, but uh, I'll just wait for you to give me deer meat to truly recruit somebody so that they are buying licenses so that they're buying equipment so that they're contributing to conservation over the long haul to truly convert somebody to a hunter. Um, I just, I, I felt like that just focusing on the recipes, uh, is, is really kind of, it it, it kind of missing the boat because there's so much more to it, um, than just the food at the end. And then kind of as an offshoot of that, uh, of that local movement, I mean, and, and this again was, was meant to be sort of the tongue in cheek part of the piece was, um, you know, uh, there There's been kind of a, a foodie culture um- a, you know kind of arise out of this and uh some of the recipes are pretty challenging pretty exotic and and um that's that's great until they get to a point to where um they make guys who have been eating deer meat all their life and maybe they don't cook it in a fancy uh recipe. Um, but they make those guys suddenly feel like well i'm I'm not fixing this correctly or I'm not cooking it correctly and and you know I don't think that's like a huge problem but but I have seen it happen enough, you know there's kind of a uh uh sometimes a highbrow attitude associated with it, and you know if you get to the point where that is off putting to you know veteran hunters who um can do a really good job at introducing somebody new to the sport it's you know it's uh I, I i don't think it's a good thing you know what i mean so um so that was uh that was kind of the big takeaway uh, from from that column
0: yeah reading the article it really had some valid points um that you were putting out there uh my personal testimony is the whole reason i got into hunting is i mean i I love what we produce at our family's farm, but I just wanted to expound on that. And that's where I had the ability through different friends to, to get into hunting. And from that, that's where my, my palate has been able to broaden. Um, I've wanted to try new different types of game being successful and actually like, you know, getting venison. It's, it's something that I enjoy putting up. And so that's my, my motivation behind that is that it is something that's accessible um i think there was a piece in there that was saying that if if they can head to a farmer's market and get grass grain fed or grass fed organic you you name the the buzzword is there really the draw to go get something else that's that's already those same taglines so i've seen that people are getting excited because they are really moving towards something that they establish or acquire themselves. Uh, whether that be through a, a farming aspect, like a small little startup or it be, yeah, they're going to take up, um, hunting. You're saying that this is a great motivator, but at the same time for that long-term sustainability, you know, they're, they're going to need somebody alongside them to show them what they need to know. That's right. That's right. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story here. Um, you know, when
1: Alex came to me with this, with this column idea, um, he, he helps with a program there, uh, around the twin cities, uh, that I think is pretty similar to the, to the field of fork program, which I'm, I'm familiar with through QD. I, I work with the QDMA guys a lot and, and uh, you know, don't get me wrong; these are these are great programs. Um, the The heart is in the right spot. I mean, they, they're really good programs, and and I think overall they do a really good job. But Alex has told me um, a couple of stories from you know from his own experiences helping with these programs, and he's obviously there uh, to to be a mentor to these new would be hunters. And so the program starts with a you know a week or so, uh, as I understand it, of of classroom instruction, and and you maybe have uh, ten people there, and you know the the instructors ask you know why why people are there, why they are wanting to learn to hunt, and almost universally, um, people say that they're there because you know they 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 want the meat, they are interested in that uh sustainable organic free range meat um knowing where it comes from and uh you know hey i mean that's a that's a great goal you know um but what what ends up happening is they're so focused on that freezer full of meat at the end of it that they go through their classroom instruction and then uh they get two days of uh of hunting on public land you know state forest and you know, they get out there and they're, they're getting up early and it's cold and they're sitting there all day. And, you know, they're the odds of success for, you know, a really experienced deer hunter under those circumstances are pretty low. And you get somebody who's never done it before. Um, most of them go, they don't even see a deer. Uh, you know, one or two of them, uh, Alex says, maybe get a deer over the course of the weekend. But, but again, most of them don't even see a deer. And so, if we're not um if if we're not properly preparing people for the reality of what hunting is like it is extremely difficult um it can be extremely difficult um it, particularly under those circumstances and and when you get somebody who's new and you know maybe they don't have the access to uh you know to a private farm um and the, and they are forced to to hunt on public land i mean if their if their true motivation is just that organic meat in the freezer. How many days are they gonna sit on that public forest uh, in the cold without seeing anything um, before they give it up? On the flip side, if they're given the opportunity to man see what that experience and that feeling is like, like when you finally look up and there's a deer um, and he's just out of range, but he is walking right to you. Um, or that feeling of man, I just shot my first deer, and I have uh, I have quartered this thing out and and hauled it back home, and it's in my freezer. And by God, I have this feeling that I've done this myself. Um, and and all of that comes, you know, before the meat, and and it is all, uh, you know, really good things, really good feelings that are completely independent of the meal at the end. And that's the point that I was trying to make: is that uh, sure we can focus on the meat as a really good um, end product of a, of a successful hunt, but if we make that the only motivator, I, I feel like we're selling other parts of it short. You know, and and like I said at the end of my column, uh, you know, I I love wild game. I mean, my we we eat wild game most days of the week here, uh, at, at, at my place. And, um, and, and I love to cook and I, and I cook some, you know, I, I don't, wouldn't call them fancy recipes, but I, but I do try new things pretty often. And, and I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good cook. Um, but at the end of the day, um, cooking a meal is not enough to, um, to get me to go out and hunt the rut for five, you know, all day sits in a row, but the sight of a deer that I've been hunting since September, finally walking into bow range, um, that, that is, and, uh, and, and that is, uh, that's the message, you know, in addition to the meat, I don't, I don't think we should, you know, stop focusing on the meat as a, as an important part of it, but you know, the, what I'm getting at is there are other really important parts of it too.
0: Yeah. I liked how you laid out that, we got to, if we're going to do this mentorship through, let's say this field to fork, uh, format that yeah, setting up expectations is going to be a great thing. Um, I have a couple buddies who thought, I mean, they're, they've been around farming, they've worked on a farm, but they've not really, and they've taken care of like a dog and they've got kids. So they understand how to take care of something at that point. Uh, they thought it'd be a fun idea to raise chickens and, to just <laughs> watch them go through the frustration of these doggone things aren't laying eggs or they're the kids didn't put them back when they were done with them. And that was never, that was never thought of at that moment. Like yeah. we didn't think about all the, like finding our chickens again or shoot, something is now getting in and knocking off our hens one by one. Like, how do we stop mm-hmm. that? And I, just with the hunting, like you're saying, like they've oh we, we're we going to have meal. This is going to be great. We're going to get all this venison. I didn't know it was going to be this cold this morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have to go to the bathroom once I got twenty feet up into the air. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, managing those expectations, I think, like you just said, is a is a really good thing. And yeah, sometimes even as a mentor, we've you know we've we've got that in the back of our mind, but we just haven't put that forward. Um, sure. And the feelings of elation too; those are also really really important when it comes to it. Cause yeah, yeah. You're sitting out there cold, but then when they finally, that first, whatever, whether it be small game or, you know, a whitetail steps out in view of you, it's kind of, you, you don't feel cold anymore. You know, you've, right. you've forgotten all about that, that boring feeling at that point, And it's now, it's not like all, all excitement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, earlier you mentioned venison or, excuse me, not venison veteran hunters, feeling kind of left out or at least kind of like, well, Hey, I've, I've been soaking my venison in milk for a long time and I'm now being told that's not the way to do it. Where, where, are we, where are we getting with these veteran hunters that are, that are feeling left out? How do we best engage with them? Well, I, I don't, I don't think
1: it's necessarily that they're, that they're feeling left out. Um, you know, I, I think the more, the more accurate way to put it would be that, you know, um, nobody wants to be preached to, you know what I mean? Um, and I, and I'll tell another story here. Uh, several years ago, I, I listened to a seminar, um, from a guy who was, he was a very smart guy, very articulate guy. Um, but I mean, he opened the seminar by telling everyone that he was a former vegan who had converted to a deer hunter. And then, kind of proceeded to preach to a room of really serious deer hunters about how they should be, uh, conducting themselves on social media and how they should be cooking their deer meat and things like that. And, and I think, um, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of interest right now in new, uh, uh, and sometimes exotic wild game recipes and, and that's cool. Um, but some of those things are, are pretty intimidating and, um, on the one hand, when you see recipes like that shared, uh, you know, by by some personalities in this, you know, in this cooking world. And then on the other hand, you also see them say things like, well, you shouldn't use bacon or a marinade because that masks the taste of the venison. Uh, and they're saying that to people who have been deer hunting since they were kids. And that's how they've always eaten it. and And they know that it tastes good um, that, that, at that point, um, can become a little off-putting. And, and I think it's kind of an incremental thing. You know what I mean? They see a fancy recipe or, or another fancy recipe and they remember that, that line that's, um, you know, not meant to be rude, but it is a little bit highbrow. It is a little bit preachy. Um, and the next thing, you know, folks are just kind of turned off by that, you know? Um, and, and especially the folks who, from their perspective, they've been cooking deer for a long time and eating it, and it tastes pretty good to them.
0: Yeah, and as we get into this this whole idea, that's the last thing we want to do is turn people away or even, yeah, turn our nose up and, and exclude folks. Um, I think inadvertently, as much as, and this isn't just the hunting world, but it's, I think, every small culture that you have within a, a population that as soon as we try to bring people in, we immediately like inadvertently cut people out and that's
1: that you know yeah man i mean that's uh it's it's tribalism that's um that's just the way uh human beings are wired um you know what what I'm getting at here is um you know on the one hand uh we we have this this pursuit hunting with uh with a pretty high barrier to entry. Um, especially for somebody who's never been around it. And their very, very best chance um, for becoming a lifelong hunter is to have early success. Uh, And their their best chance at having early success is under the tutelage of somebody who really knows what they're doing, who is really good at killing deer. Um, And you know, if At the same time, that that new person uh, who who is becoming this this hunting recruit um, is is so focused on a fancy recipe that they, just like you say, they they inadvertently uh, insult the veteran who's going to take them hunting um, by, you know, talking about whatever way that they cook their deer is not the right way to do it then you know that that's that's when you do get a problem and and, and I don't think you know uh, obviously that's that's hypothetical to the extreme I don't think that's something that's happening all of the time but I do think it's 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 always important as we think about the best way to to get these people uh to get new people into hunting that uh those veteran hunters who know what they're doing they they are ones who, who are going to have to, to help with it. Um, you know, they're the ones who are going to have to put these, these new hunters on an animal, you know, whether it's a deer a turkey or a small game or whatever. Um, and so, you know, the last thing that, uh, that any recruitment initiative needs is to alienate the very people that they need to help make it happen. So. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Um, I went to a dinner with, it was for one of his book releases, Hank Shaw, And Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're talking elaborate recipes, like this is the man that immediately comes to mind. Um, he's got several books out there. He's got his, his website and through a, through a talk that he was saying that he was saying that these are pretty elaborate and he has people go through and do these recipes to help with his writing and with his, Mm -hmm. uh, the amounts that he's adding to it and the, basically he's trying to paint a picture to somebody who has in a home kitchen. That's his that's his goal. And so you do get some really wordy uh recipe. It can be very intimidating, but he goes on to say that this isn't something that you want to just like wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to do this." You know, without having any prior knowledge or somebody saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to pick up hunting, so I'm also going to pick up Hanks book and turn to one of the most elaborate recipes that are in here (laughs) at some point there's got to be like a a succession at that where as a young hunter you know maybe introducing that once they get success you peel off that backstrap simple grill it and i mean that's what they were there for if they Mm -hmm. can get that down like that's that's going to keep not only the participant the recruit excited because now, oh, I I'm gonna do this next time, or you know, that, that that's their motivation. But at the same time, I feel that the mentor can have a full uh experience at that as well. Because I mean, as much as you are teaching, you're learning by teaching at that point. So but yeah, Hank was definitely forward in saying, like, hey, there's a there's gotta be a succession here that we've got some recipes that are easy. Let's start there. And then we'll work on, you know, the elaborate stuff later. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I say, we
1: um, we cook a ton of wild game here um, and and some with better success than others. Um, you know, I think of my days that I've, uh, you know, I've tried to perfect, you know, summer sausage and making it with a cold smoke. And, and I mean, some of that stuff is, is really hard and it's fun. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing, but I, I kind of look at it as, you know, it's a, it's a good reward from hunting, but it's, um, it's an independent experience, at least
0: for me, uh, from the hunt. Gotcha. So you're almost making a a division between the culinary side and then the hunting side at that point. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I do. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the experience that goes into, um, you know, hunting a mature whitetail buck, for example, I mean, that can, um, you know, uh, and, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to hunt that way, but I, but I do think it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a natural progression of, uh, of an experienced hunter. You know, I mean, um, I'm fortunate to have some really good places to, to go. Uh, but I've also been doing this a long time. And, and if it were only about, getting deer for the freezer for me um you know my my hunting season would probably be pretty short um but i enjoy being selective um i i enjoy you know letting deer walk by and learning more about them um and you know hopefully uh you know hopefully focusing on an older animal that uh you know that i that i've been able to to narrow down and, and outsmart and at the end of it sure i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy eating that animal for dinner too um, but it's not what I'm thinking about when I'm checking my trail camera photos and, and trying to plan my next spot where I'm going to try to set up for a shot. So.
0: Well, hey, while well, we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us?
1: They can check us out on Instagram. At Hunnivore, they can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore, or send us an email at hunnivore at gmail.com.
0: We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, They come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with The Handle Sportsman's Nation. Uh, In fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company. Which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. You mentioned in, also in the article, and then just a moment ago, um, that hunters eat this every day, that our meals, we've got some staples that we, that we live by. Um, Mm -hmm. I got three kids, you know, with, I call it the Holy Trinity of ground where you've got, (laughs) you got burgers, you got goulash and you got meatballs. Like it just goes in rotation. Spaghetti one night, you know, we have our, either the chili or the goulash, really easy to make up. You make it up. It takes twenty minutes to do all that. Oh yeah. Um, as we're as we're going through there, do you have any staples that you uh, that it's like seems like you you come home, you don't really want to cook, but you just want to make something up in wild games. What you got? What seems to be a mm-hmm. go-to for you? We have several, and and definitely we um, we eat a lot of ground
1: meat. Uh, when you mention uh, when you mention spaghetti and chili and vegetable soup, man, those are. Um, those are definitely some some standbys uh for us we don't do goulash as much although we do hamburger helper a whole lot um (laughs) so i I guess that's that's kind of close um we do a lot of sloppy joes um we do a lot of uh a lot of fried backstrap medallions but i but i think if if i were to say that like our our kind of our go-to for um you know especially if we have company um and it's and it's the winter time for for feeding a lot of people what we do is uh is a crock pot of uh we you know it's just like Italian beef we just call it italian deer um and I like to take a uh shoulder from you know from like a yearling um i like to uh, a lot of my freezer deer I actually like to shoot yearling does at the end of the winter um when they've uh, had time to pack on some pounds, but they're still pretty young. Um, those shoulders will be pretty small and, uh, just about the perfect size, especially if you cut them in half for putting in a crock pot and, um, you know, trim them up a little bit, put them in a crock pot with, uh, just some, um, beef broth and we just slow cook them all day. Um, and, uh, we take them out, um, rinse them off and pull the meat off the bone, put it back in the crock pot, put some fresh broth in there, and then we season it down real heavy, Italian seasoning, of course, salt, pepper, garlic, uh, onion, all that good stuff, sometimes some uh, some pepperoncinis, and let it, you know, let that stuff bubble a while longer, and, um, man, it just makes a really good sandwich. We'll put it on a hoagie bun and some Swiss cheese, and a lot of times, Michelle, my wife, she'll make, uh, make a pot of potato soup to go with it, and so that's... Um, that's that's definitely one of our standbys especially for things like uh you know some of your tougher cuts that aren't great for steaks you know like your shoulders and um you know your tip roast things like that that's that's what we end up doing with a lot of buyers
0: Yeah getting to the point where it's just been low and slow and that stuff just ribbons out apart it's something about all that connective tissue too in that shoulder mm-hmm. that just really I mean it's got a velvety texture to it yeah those it uh those hoagie buns, you just slice those up, throw it, throw it on that. That's a great, great crowd pleaser on that one.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I used to, um, I, I used to try to, you know, render little stakes and things out of the shoulders. And it's, it's just hard to do, you know? Um, so we, we either grind them up, um, or, uh, or, or again, we'll, you know, on, on smaller deer, especially usually on a, you know, on a larger buck, um, you know, we'll, we'll grind the shoulders, um, but, uh, but on a smaller deer, we, we always set aside a few whole shoulders in the, in the freezer to, to cook them like that. And they're, they're pretty good. And, you know, that's, uh, that Italian deer, I, I think it's actually better the next day. Uh, it, the seasoning seems to really kind of sink in and, and, uh, you know, makes, makes really good leftovers. So freezes pretty
0: well too. So that's my trouble is I never have enough left to freeze. I usually polish it <laughs> off <laughs> within the week. <laughs> But yeah I'm with you on the leftovers as far as like a day after on something that just has all those spices worked into it it just really it kicks yeah kicks up another notch um yep. we made uh yeah with all the snowfall and I we've got a a bean soup with the what we make and it's real it's got molasses in it it's got a real sweet to it but at the same time it's got bacon and ground ground meat in it we did it with some venison and I tell you being cold and eating that bean soup hot was great but that's my lunch this afternoon is I'm heading over to some of that stuff that's been sitting overnight. So I'm, I'm pretty I excited about it to, to quickly jump back into like, as we're, as we're talking to, to folks maybe a little younger than we are, or maybe right around where we're at, where this, this motivation to get out and hunt. Um, and we're talking about, we, we want to acquire our own meat and They're finding this is going to be the the sustainable method, Um, and we're sitting here on the side of probably the mentors. How can we help continue to recruit? Knowing that, okay, meat is a motivation, but how can I, as a hunter, how can I bring more people along using that quote-unquote carrot of a backstrap or, you know, a skinned squirrel here at the end of our hunt? How can I use that? to help maintain or excuse me to recruit and maintain a new hunter
1: yeah well you know I've I've um been fortunate that I've, I've been able to, to introduce a lot of new people to hunting over the years and kids and, and adults and um I, I've seen a lot of first deer shot and a lot of first squirrels and first turkeys and um you know, I, I think at the end of the day, regardless of what somebody's motivation is, if, if, um, you know, Hey, if they are primarily motivated by a deer in the freezer, um, that's great. Um, if they're, uh, motivated by that, but more so just the, the entire experience, that's great too. It doesn't really matter what their motivation is, but I think as a, as a mentor, um, and as somebody who, uh, who has the responsibility of, of trying to help recruit new hunters, um we have to look at the importance of those first couple of days in the field um if it is miserable and cold and uh you don't know the area you don't know where you're going um and that new hunter doesn't see anything (laughs) it can be hard to bring them back and you know and i've seen um for as many kids as I've seen introduced to hunting who stuck with it. I've also seen a number who, you know, didn't have a great first experience. Um, you know, maybe they were stuck in a duck blind all day and the birds weren't flying and they got bored. Um, and when they started fidgeting and talking, they were told to keep still. And, you know, those, those early experiences, it it can't be emphasized enough how important it is that, that they are positive. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's, (laughs) it's pretty dang important for somebody to see some critters when they're out there. Um, they don't necessarily have to get a shot. Um, they don't have to get something, but it's important to have some action because after a little while of sitting in the woods, it starts to get boring. You know, I get bored. I I bring a book out there if I know I'm going to be sitting in a tree all day. I mean, I like to look at the leaves and the sunrises and the squirrels and all that, but after a while uh, you know, it gets kind of dull. And so I'm, I'm going to read, I'm going to pull out my phone or whatever. It's just human nature. Um, and if you have somebody who's never experienced that, um, it's, it's important, I think, to put them in a place where they are going to have high odds of success. Um, you know, where they're going to see ducks, where they're going to see squirrels, uh, where they're going to see deer, um, hear turkeys gobble, whatever it may be. And so I think as a mentor, um, it's our job to be sure that we do our part in preparing on the front end to make that happen. Um, you know, if we're taking, uh, somebody on, uh, you know, on, on state forest for the weekend, um, you know, we already know the deck is stacked. We better get out there and do some scouting. We better get out there and and set some trail cameras and at least be sure that they are, uh, in the best possible situation that they can be in to, you know, to have an opportunity. And, I think that um, above all else, regardless of whether you're mentoring a kid or or somebody who's 35 years old, is important.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's That seems to hit the nail right on the head that we want to have a positive experience throughout the whole thing, whether it's seeing animals, having an enjoyable time, um, really upplaying the adventure side of it Mm -hmm. that you know there's going to be adversity there's going to be something you're going to have to work through we're going to have to be tough but then to have something at the end whether it be we see animals and we get to pursue them or hey we get to come back and have hot cocoa or something but anyway to make that an enjoyable experience so i'm glad you uh set that up for us and this has been a great talk will this has been a, a good time um yeah for sure i've enjoyed it good I've come down to the crescendo, the big voila of my podcast, and that's our two-dish breakdown. And we mentioned one already, but I'm going to throw another one at you. Your first dish that you were going to break down for us is going to be that same idea of a veteran hunter cooking up a midweek dinner. We're talking Wednesday. It's already 525 we need to have dinner down in the next 35 minutes. What would be a go-to dinner by a veteran hunter? So, so the midweek dinner, um, just kind of the
1: go-to in 35 minutes. Well, I, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the crock pot Italian deer sandwiches are, um, you know, they're, they're definitely a good one. Uh, but you have to have prepared that, uh, the day before, obviously, or at least early that morning. Um, so you know, if uh if I've gotta have dinner turned around in in thirty minutes, I'm probably gonna go with uh with one of two things. One um would be Ritz cracker breaded venison. We'll take um backstrap medallions and uh you know, might uh might hit them with a with a meat hammer and, and tenderize them a little bit. Um, I'm going to put just a little sriracha and some soy sauce and some olive oil on them and just give them about a, I don't know, 15 minute marinade and take a little seasoned flour, a sleeve of Ritz crackers, crush those up and, uh, roll my venison in that and, uh, just pan fry them in olive oil. Um, lay them down in there. They need to be about a, I don't know, about a quarter inch thick. As soon as you see just a little blood come to the top, flip them and, uh, get them nice and uh nice and brown on both sides take them out and um you know we usually serve it like a a side of cheesy rice and you know some kind of vegetable so uh but that's that you can do that pretty quick and that's that's usually a crowd pleaser the other thing we do um i i love wild turkey um we'll take uh wild turkey nuggets and uh marinate them in uh, pickle juice and uh and then bread them in seasoned flour, and then i, I like to do them in a deep fryer and um, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty good. So those are, those are definitely a, a couple of go-tos around here. So
0: good deal. I love the, the pan fry on, on both of them, but just that, that Ritz cracker cover. Um, I do that same thing with the venison. That's how I get my five, three and one year old to even eat venison is I have to turn it into a nugget. I, yeah. feel like a, <laughs> I feel dirty every time I do it, but I'm like, you know what? They're going to eat it. They'll be, they'll love it. Yeah, but yeah, you gotta yep. bread it, and then they they'll suck it down. But yeah, I like the idea too of doing it even with wild turkey. And yeah, I use a I got a um, a smaller cast iron pan, and I tell you that works great. I don't have a meat mallet, but that that big pan, you tunk that uh, piece of meat a good three or four times, and it's it's pretty thin. Uh, man,
1: that you're uh, you're preaching to the choir. I've got a tiny little iron skillet um, that I use for that same thing. I put a couple of paper towels over the top of the the meat, you know, so I don't get blood spatter all over the, uh, the walls of the kitchen. Um, but that little, uh, that little iron skillet does probably a better job than the meat mallet. So,
0: um, so yeah, either one of them works. There's your pro tip folks. Will says (laughs) use a cast iron skillet to uh, pound out your meat, save money and time. All right. This one, this one takes a little bit more to it. Um, you, uh, you and the wife, are home tonight, the kids are off someplace else, the pets are off someplace else, just just you and the missus. And you're doing a date night in house and you are cooking and you've got wild game available. What are you making on this date night to make it go just right? Well,
1: um I, I guess the first thing that I would say I'm probably gonna avoid the venison um, you know, all that red meat makes pretty horrific gas and nobody
0: wants that on date night. So. Uh, I'm yeah, that, probably, that, pa- uh, that protein pack just doesn't, doesn't fit well, does it?
1: And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good while you're sitting around the candlelight, like, but, uh, you know, when you settle in to watch a movie afterward, um, you don't want to be contending with that. So, uh, I, you know, I, I would actually have to go with, um, I actually have to have to throw you just a little bit of a curveball. Uh, you know, hopefully wild caught crappie counts as uh, as as wild game enough. Um, oh you betcha. We like uh we like to take fresh crappie fillets or largemouth bass fillets. Bass is, makes nearly as good of a fish taco as crappie does. But um we uh uh, uh will soak a cedar plank um in water and uh just dredge the crappie fillets in some butter or a little olive oil, season them down a little bit. Um, nothing crazy, salt, pepper, you know, maybe a little Southwest seasoning, grill them on the plank and then mix up some broccoli slaw with, uh, like some chipotle may- uh, mayonnaise. And, um, you know, uh, heat up some tortilla shells in a skillet and we make fish tacos. Uh, that's something that Michelle and I both enjoy. Um, my little boy doesn't like them quite as much. Um, but, but we, uh, we tend to eat that pretty often when we're, uh, you know, when, when
0: we have the night to ourselves to cook. So sounds delightful. Have you done an, that's your next article idea is, uh, if you really want to get after people, you talk about eating bass. Cause I'm, I'm all for that. I'm a huge advocate for that. So that's oh, your yeah. next, that's your next assignment is you're going to talk I, about cooking up about bass. I've that
1: before. Yeah. And, and, and talked about it before I, I, I grew up fishing, uh, you know, farm ponds and, and strip mine pits and things for largemouth bass. I, I actually never knew there was anything wrong with eating a bass until I went to work for a fishing magazine right out of college and, uh. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) you know um worked there for a while and it was was a great place to work but um uh you know there were a lot of tournament fishermen on staff and uh you know i got a lot of funny looks when i talked about eating bass and i you know it didn't much matter to me i I continue to eat them
0: so um you know they taste good well good deal glad to hear that well will i'm gonna have you hold on for just a second but i'm uh, gonna hold up and uh wrap up our audience here folks this has been a great talk. I hope you've uh, got a chance to listen. If you've got the opportunity to mentor a new hunter, make sure you manage those expectations. Make sure you show them a positive time. And whether you're new or an old hunter, keep your knife sharp.